how do you hold your resolve in the midst of daunting opposition? What if your life was on the line? Do you think that you could hold on to your resolve? What if you had the reassurance of the Lord helping you, strengthening you, and protecting you? Could you hold on then? In this episode of Groundwork, we will delve into the third chapter of Daniel, where we will see unshakable faith and sacrifice against all odds, and the Lord getting the glory in the midst of it all. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in the third part of our six-part series in the book of Daniel, and we have been covering a lot of things here. We learned in the first episode that God is completely sovereign over all things, even less than ideal circumstances. And he also gave Daniel and his three friends, Hanani, Azariah, and Mishael, the ability to thrive and excel in less than ideal situations. Right. We are in the time of the exile in Babylon. And we focus principally on uh, the character of Daniel, but we also have those three friends. So we're going to be looking at those three friends and not Daniel uh, in this particular episode. Uh, In the previous episode, the second one, we also saw chapters two and four, both dealt with dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had and that only Daniel could interpret. So we've looked at chapters one, two, and four. Now we're just going to go, uh, go to that one that we skipped over for the moment, and that will be chapter three, where we get a well-known story, one of the better known stories of the book of Daniel involving Nebuchadnezzar and his attempt to make all people worship him as like a god. So King Nebuchadnezzar, of course, you mentioned this and I mentioned this in the previous episodes, is that he often has where he exalts himself and then he recognizes the true God as a living God due to Daniel interpreting dreams or to God doing something miraculous. And he comes to his senses. It looks like at the end of the chapter, he says, okay, the true and living God, he's the God. But then in the beginning of the next chapter, he seems to have forgotten that. And he's back on thinking about trying to exalt himself. And in the beginning of this chapter, he's doing that. And we realize that when Hananiah, Azariah and Mishael or Daniel decide not to do what the king tells them to do is because they want to continue in their devotion and faithfulness to God. And Nebuchadnezzar is definitely kind of a shampoo, rinse, repeat kind of guy because (laughs) he just keeps forgetting. Every time we turn into a new chapter, all the great things he said about Israel's God at the end of the previous chapter are just like gone. Uh, So we should also mention, uh, by the way, uh, Daryl, that Daniel is Daniel's Hebrew name. Now, he was given a Babylonian name called Belteshazzar, but we know him most by Daniel. His three friends were are somehow better known by their Babylonian given names uh, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but their Hebrew names uh, were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and we'll kind of use those interchangeably in this program where uh, we begin in chapter 3 with a situation getting set up that is going to bring a lot of conflict. So let's listen to what happens here. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So all those people come, and they uh, came for the dedication. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. 
Therefore, as soon as the sound of all those instruments are heard, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And he has indeed set something up. Can you see how this setup could be a problem, Scott, for these three guys? Their original heart and devotion to God had been trained up since they were small children about the law that Moses had given and the Torah and these things that tell them no other God should come before uh, the true and living God. It's in God's top 10, the Ten Commandments, and they want to live that way. And if they do and they can't worship this idol image, this golden image that has been set up, and sometimes our faith can cause problems even when we're not looking for trouble. Trouble will sometimes find us. Exactly. The situation is clear. They are going to have to either choose to participate in idol worship or stay true to the God of Israel, which they've already been doing. We saw this in the opening chapter. They refused to eat the king's food, right? And they turned out to be healthier than the people who did eat the king's food. And so there is, again, another situation where Nebuchadnezzar says, wow, your God's great. But now he's back to thinking he's a God. The world's always kind of trying to make us go along to get along, Daryl, right? We're getting pressured to laugh at dirty jokes, or or we're pressured to go to parties where where drugs and, and booze flow way, way, way too freely. We're tempted to compromise our faith and reprioritize our lives just so we fit in better. Uh, That's what's happening here, and it happens to us too. Yeah, and the world is always trying to get us to compromise our faith in some way. You're shining your light a little too bright, Scott. You got 100 watts. Can you bring it down to 60 watts and so everyone can feel comfortable here because you're shining a little too bright? Even though the Lord tells us to shine our light, there are some people who may not like that. And so we have to constantly ask God for his strength to choose to not compromise, even if it has physical consequences or, you know, damaging things that could happen to us. I'm thinking about how martyrs have happened all over in history of the faith and how in there were people who were murdered for their faith because they decided not to give up Jesus and not to give up their faith. And this chapter is setting up that they could die if they choose not to go along and get along. And, you know, in the seven verses we've read so far from Daniel we haven't even gotten to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, but we know we know it's coming. We know what's next, even before we get to what is next, which we will in just a few moments in this program, but we know what's next. We know what the temptations are going to be. We know Jesus talked about this in the New Testament. You know, what good does it do you, you know, if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? Right. If you, you give up your soul, you give up your integrity, what can you use to buy it back, Jesus says? Nothing, right? And that's the situation we often find ourselves in. We can gain the whole world, we can gain the approval of the whole world, but if doing that means compromising our loyalty to God, and to, in our New Testament context, our loyalty and, 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 and fidelity to Jesus above all, then we've lost everything. And Jesus also talks about this, you are the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses its saltiness, mm. how can it be made salty again? And these guys, even way before Jesus was born, understood that if they worshiped this golden image, that they would lose their saltiness. They would lose their testimony. They would lose their integrity. And they did not want to do that. But they also needed God's help to actually have the strength to say no where the world is saying yes. And in a minute, we're going to talk about what happens in this story when they refuse to come compromise, so stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. 
If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And we are in Daniel chapter 3, and we have just seen that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up a giant golden statue and demanded that the whole world bow down in worship before it. And we've been saying, Daryl, we've got these friends of Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we just know they're not going to go along with it, and we're going to find that out. Verse 8 of chapter 3, it says, At this time, astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So there it is. And we see that there's always some people to, to, to stir the pot. Here we got some astrologers who come forward to denounce the Jews. Looks like Nebuchadnezzar's not aware that these three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, aren't bowing down. So they, they pointed out. Who knows, you know, uh, why that kind of thing happens? Uh, I think from a human side, Dara, we, we can probably figure out some people do this kind of thing to curry favor with the king, right? Oh, you, you bring the king uh, the news of, of something he needs to know about, and, and you'll get rewarded. So they're kind of, you know— trying to, to make nice with the king and get in favor with him. And if some uh, innocent people get hurt, oh, well. Yeah, so the Bible strangely silenced God about why they're doing it, what's their motive, what's behind it. The writer knows that these things happen. And I think as believers, I'm not trying to make this a one-for-one allegorical thing, but we do need to think about the fact that there will be people who will say what they will say and do what they will do. And there's nothing the Christian can do about that. We have to control what we can control, which is our response and how we live in that situation. I think another thing that's interesting is that we got this king who is angry because someone is showing, quote unquote, insubordination mm -hmm. in his kingdom. Um, he's exalted to Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael to these positions to be in charge of things. And he will not hesitate to cut them down 
around if they are disobedient to him. His reputation is on the line. His hubris is on the line. His pride's on the line. And because Babylon's a big kingdom, he probably doesn't micromanage all of this. But when he gets word, he's really upset because once a king makes a decree, they cannot change it. Right. And he's arrogant. He's angry. He's 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 deluded. But in the verses we just read at the end of uh, verse 15, you got to give Nebuchadnezzar credit. He asks the right question. He says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, if you don't bow down, I'm throwing you into the furnace. And then he says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Oh, good question. Very good question. And uh, you're going to get an answer uh, before this story is finished. And we all know what that that answer is going to be. He has now spoken. But now let's hear, beginning at verse 16 of Daniel 3, what they say. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. So... Yeah, they don't hold back. <laughs> I think that the king expected them to kind of fold under the pressure here. I'm the king. I'll throw you in the fiery furnace. It's really hot. Take a look at it. We're going to throw you in there. And you need to right now do what I told you to do. And, and, and then he doesn't expect them to disobey him twice. The, the first one was kind of over in another district or something. But this one was literally in his face. And he thought that he had the power to change their mind. But their devotion to God and their love for God superseded any consequence that this human could give to them. And I think that's a note for us as believers that we need to remember who's in control of everything. We need to actually trust in the God who can deliver us and save us no matter what the pressure is. And you don't know uh, in reading this story, uh, you wonder though, has God tipped them off? Did God actually send them a message somehow that, hey, you know, even if you get thrown in the furnace, uh, I'll get you out of it. Their confidence in God, their faith in God, their ultimate belief that God will ultimately stay with them, of course that's right. But there have been faithful people who stood their, their ground for God and, and did die. <laughs> right. I mean, God has not delivered every martyr from their martyrdom in the history of Israel uh, or the church. So they're awfully confident here that they're going to walk out of that fiery furnace. So did God, you know, tip them off? Don't know. But again, their stalwartness, their pluck, you know, we don't need to defend ourselves in front I of you. I love that line. We don't need. No, we're not going to defend ourselves. And indeed, uh, you know, when you know you're right, do you need to waste your breath defending it in front of people who don't believe in your God, who don't believe in your faith, who think that, you know, you're just making stuff up? Do we, you know, if we really trust God is sovereign, if we really trust the Holy Spirit is with us, then maybe, you know, some of the times when we try to defend ourselves and construct clever arguments to defend our faith, maybe we don't need to do that. They don't. They certainly don't do it here. They didn't do it here because they have in their memory in the pages of the Torah, the book of Exodus, where Moses and the people are right here at the Red Sea and the Pharaoh is coming and all the mm -hmm. armies. And the verse says, 
stand still and see the salvation of the Lord for the Lord will fight for you. Mm -hmm. You need only to be still. I think that verse is one of the things they could have been, I imagine, in their minds and they not needing to defend themselves in this matter because the Lord is their defense. He's a shield. He's a buckler. It's all over the Psalms um, that he is a protector. And we need to remember that God is in our corner in places where there is much opposition. Uh, But it looks like these guys are in a whole bunch of trouble and we're going to focus on the redemption part of the story real soon. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this third episode in a six-part series on the book of Daniel. And we are in Daniel chapter 3 and the well-known story of the blazing furnace and of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And we've just seen that they were summoned before the king. Uh, who said, I've given an order that I I set up this big gold statue of myself, and when you hear certain music being played, you're supposed to bow down, you aren't doing it, you will do it, or I'll throw you into the furnace, and then what God could help you? And they have replied saying, our God can help us, (laughs) and our God will. We're not going to argue about this with you, and we're not going to bow down. So that's where we are. And then we read this part that picks up in verse 19, where it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them had changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times harder than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Man, that's one of my favorite parts of this passage, Scott. Um, It's really powerful to see, even though King Nebuchadnezzar is angry about them refusing to follow his orders, and then they get thrown into the furnace, there is someone else in the fire. Amazing story. And indeed, 
uh, you know, the poor soldiers who had to get close enough to drop uh, these three into the fire, they themselves right. burst into flames. That's how hot it was. Really, really a horrible, horrible thing. Uh, I don't quite know uh, what the setup was. I remember in some Sunday school story, it was like the furnace had a little window on it or something, and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar could look in. I don't know. I don't know how he could see into the fire. He couldn't have been terribly close to it himself. It was that hot. But when he did look in, he expected to see nothing, right? I mean, three soldiers have already been consumed on the lip of this thing. Right. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should have been burned up, rope tied around them and all within seconds. So he didn't expect to see anything. Uh, he certainly didn't expect to see those three walking around, fine, no more ropes tying them up. And he certainly didn't expect to see a guest showing up who looked like a, a son of the gods, he says. It's almost funny. He can't believe his eyes. You, you can just see the look on his face. What is going on here? So what is going on here? Many scholars have said that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Before the incarnation, before Matthew, before the New Testament, Christ shows up as an undercover boss, if you will, in the Old Testament. He shows up at the burning bush. He shows up as one of the soldiers in the book of Joshua that has a sword drawn out. They say, are you for us or against us? And he says, neither. Um, it could be the wrestling angel, the one who goes uh, with Israel in the book of Genesis. But Jesus shows up in the Old Testament as the pre-incarnate Christ. And this is one of those moments. He's in the fire with them. And I'm a preacher. So that actually will preach to me that if you're in a fiery situation and you you are feeling discouraged or overwhelmed. The son of man, the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to jump into your fire situation with you and you can find ways to rejoice even when it's getting hot. That is something that really is encouraging for me to know and for me to live out as a Christian. And as New Testament people, uh, you almost want to say to Nebuchadnezzar, you said he looks like the son of the gods or the son of God. Funny you should put it that way. We, right. have, a, we have a savior with that title uh, a little later in the Bible. But indeed, God is with them in the fire, literally. You know, there are those verses in Isaiah that you'll pass through the fire but not be burned. Well, here's a literal uh, occasion whereby an incredible miracle of God, these three are protected. They knew, they said, God will protect us. You know, Nebuchadnezzar asked, what God could help you? Well, he, he has just found out Israel's God can help them. And so now we continue in verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here. So they came out of the fire. And all the satraps and prefects and governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were not scorched. They, they didn't even smell the fire on them. And then, and here goes Nebuchadnezzar again, <laughs> praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So that's what you call a, a turn of events. Definitely. <laughs> that's, the, that's the great reversal of this story. Now, if you don't say good things about Israel's God, you will get punished. So it sounds like King Nebuchadnezzar's finally gotten a picture here. Until we get to chapter four, and then it's kind of, <laughs> you know, 
Shampoo, rinse, repeat. But anyway. He's doing it again. He'll do it again. Just a few uh, takeaways from this section, Scott. I think it's important for us to know that as believers in this world, we are ones who love God and not the world and the things in it. Like First John tells us to live. We will always be offered a compromise for our faith or to kind of. Like I said before, turn down the wattage of our light that God is calling us to shine that brings glory to him. Don't fall for that <laughs> because the world is not in the best interest of the Lord. They're not doing God's plan and they're not interested in bringing glory to him. We're Christians and we are called to be ambassadors and we're called to bring light to him and glory to him. It's going to be hard for us, but we need to have his strength to help us with that. And when we are tempted to compromise, and we are, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. If we stay steadfast to God, we know God will stay steadfast to us, uh, whatever the world might do to us. And yes, we might die. But as Jesus said, uh, even if you die, if you believe in me, you will live because I am the resurrection and the life. And indeed, God does stay with us uh, through uh, the fire we face, the metaphorical fire, uh, maybe something akin to literal fire, but God is always there. And that is the great encouragement we take away from this story in Daniel 3. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. And we hope you'll join us again next time as we read the story of the writing on the wall in Daniel chapter 5. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com. Share what Groundwork means to you. Make suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 